The reading today is from Amos chapter 5. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. He will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though you entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for forty years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. This is God's word. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you that the the scriptures are clear on the sort of God that you are. You are a God of compassion and mercy and kindness. And yet you are also a God of justice. Those two wonderfully come together in your character. Father, as we meet with you again this morning, would you speak to us? Would you move our hearts, move us more to become like you, both in your justice and your compassion? Father, that is not our natural inclination. We need you to be at work amongst us. Please do that in your Spirit's power, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. 
Well, you read Amos chapter 5, and you'd have to say there's every reason to believe that today there are church services happening up and down this land, and God looks down upon them and says, I hate them. Which is a bit unsettling. I think chapter 5 and verse 21 downwards are the strongest condemnation of offensive worship that the Bible would have. Very strong. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings, grain offerings, I will not accept them. Literally, I cannot bear the fragrance of them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I'll have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. So I think it's a reasonable statement to say that up and down this land, there will today be vicars earnestly breaking bread, and God says, I hate that. And there'll be thousands waving their hands as they sing, and God will say, I hate that. And there'll be some wonderfully well-crafted sermons and people diligently are transcribing them and the Lord will say, I hate that. That's a bit unsettling, isn't it, for you and for me? And um cause you to choke a little bit on your coffee, perhaps. Now, if you're joining us today, welcome to Amos. He's a cheerful character. Well, eventually he is. It is nine chapters of slightly blood and thunder and then five verses of Don't worry about it too much if you trust in Jesus Christ. But it's fairly relentless in his condemnation for nine chapters. Uh, He's a prophet preaching around about the year uh, 760 BC. He's preaching in a culture that is wealthy and affluent. Their military is dominant in the region. They're conquering territories. All is well, as far as the people can tell. But Amos warns them that in a few years' time, 40 years in fact, They will be invaded by the Assyrians and their nation destroyed. And Amos is very clear this is because that is the Lord's judgment upon them for their immorality. Two issues in particular keep getting raised by the book. One, their worship of the Lord is self-indulgent. And two, and the main one, their treatment of other people, particularly the those at the bottom of the pile, those with least in society, is abhorrent. And justice is coming, says Amos. And chapter 5 blurs those two big issues in particular and says, look, worship of the Lord must be forged with a concern for justice amongst his people. Those two, they've just got to come together. Otherwise your worship is a waste of time. Or worse than that, actually. The Lord says, I hate it. You cannot be right with God if you're wrong with others, says Amos. Now, it is a warning that comes with tears. So, uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 1, uh, hear this word of Israel, uh, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. And it is a, a lament, and, and the Hebrew form of it, it, it's like a funeral dirge. It is... A tearful, this is not Amos standing in front of the, uh, it's standing in, in the capital Samaria and sort of tub thumping. It's a message of tears. Did you not realize what you're doing? 
And at once it's verse 2, he, he speaks as if the event has already taken place. Fallen is Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land. It's like a man reading his own obituary in one sense, describing the events of four decades in the future as, well, you're dead as a people. But it is a warning with tears. So the Lord is saying here, look, you, you need to remember that I am a God of justice and I'll see that justice is done. But I am a God of compassion and I hate this to happen to my people. I don't know if you remember in the press, there was a, a, a funny case, a judge, uh, Philip uh, Wassell, a couple of years ago in Truro Crown Court, um, the, the chap on, on trial was a lorry driver who had carried out a very dangerous U-turn, despite all the signs on the road saying no U-turns, and uh, in the recklessness of his driving had killed uh, a motorbike uh, driver, leaving behind a wife and two kids, two girls, aged six and three. Uh, and he was found guilty of reckless driving. And when the judge sentenced him, it made the news for this reason only, the judge just wept as he sentenced him. Which would be embarrassing if you're a high court judge in your wig, etc. You're meant to be, you know, strictly neutral, etc. Something like that. that. Um, but he wept. And saying, that I also am the father of two children, two girls. And to imagine to leave them fatherless, what you've done is a wicked act. But you've also destroyed your own life. You're going to spend three years in prison. You have a lifetime ban for driving. I don't know what you'll do when you get out. I don't know how you'll provide for your family. You've ruined two families here. And so I'm afraid it's, you know, sentence is passed. But I hate this. This is a miserable scenario. And that's the sense of the Lord's heart here. Your behavior is appalling. And I will see that there's justice done because the victims of your behavior, they need to know that there's justice. But you're my people. I don't, I don't want to see you invaded by foreign foreigners, by a pagan nation, Assyria. They'll be brutal when they come. It'll be awful. I don't want to see that. But I will. And you've ruined your lives and the lives of others. So it's a warning, but it's a warning with tears. And so the repeated refrain of this little section is, seek me. It isn't too late. Seek me. Come back to me. Seek me and live. Let's pull out the two main mistakes they're making and uh, uh, make sure we don't avoid them. Two mistakes then. Uh, Their worship left them unchanged and their doctrine was merely slogans. Let's look at them in turn. Here then is a warning to God's people. Examine your lives. First then, their worship left them unchanged. Uh, chapter 5, verses 4 to 13. Uh, this is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not go to Bethel or Gilgal or journey to Bathsheba. Now those were the major shrines at the time in Israel. And uh, three times a year you'd go off to these various places for a couple of days, drink a lot, dance a lot, etc., uh, etc. Et They're feasts and festivals. There's just a religious veneer there. I guess in the 21st century the Lord would say, seek me and live. Don't just celebrate Christmas and Easter, and get your children confirmed. That's all well and good, but that's just a religious veneer. Seek me and live. And in particular, that involves a concern for justice. So you see verse 6. Seek the Lord and live, verse 6. Becomes, verse 14, seek good, not evil, that you may live. 
to, to seek the Lord here is almost synonymous with seeking the good of justice. No, we need to be careful. Amos is not saying that uh, giving someone pro bono legal advice is meeting with God. It is not. Giving money to charity is meeting with God. It is not. But he is saying that if you have a relationship with the living God, you become like him. And so you will want to treat and ensure there is justice and treat people in this sort of way. You'll pursue justice in particular for the marginalised in society, which are those who really get uh, poor treatment here. Now, the the accusation really is uh, verses 7 to 13, that chunk there. So it begins in verse 7, you who turn justice into bitterness, cast righteousness to the ground. But then you get this strange interlude, verses 8 and 9. You can tell it's slightly strange, because the NIV doesn't know what to do with this. It just puts it in brackets, which means we don't know what that's doing there. And you can see their point. So verse 7, you turn justice into bitterness, cast righteousness to the ground. And then verse 9, we're back, sorry, verse 10, you hate the one who reproves in court, despise him who tells the truth. So it's back to rejecting justice. What are verses 8 and 9 doing? Because they're a hymn of worship. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, those are constellations of stars. So he who made the stars, who turns blackness into dawn, darkens day into night, etc., etc., the Lord is his name. Well, I think what's going on here in the context of the chapter, Amos is saying, look, you don't care about justice, you don't care about righteousness, but oh, look, off you go to church and worship the Lord, and does it make a difference to your life? Verse 10, it does not. You're just going through the motions. So there, there are plenty of people there who pretend or go through the motions, I, say, I guess, in your faith. You go to church and sing songs of praise, verse 8. I don't know how they go, I don't know what the tune is. You made the stars, you turn night into day, you pour out the waters on the sea, probably a better tune than that. Um, but they, they all sing and they have a nice time as they sing their songs. But does it affect their lives? No. I hate that, says God. I hate it. You come to church, you think you have a relationship with me. It makes no impact upon your lives and how you treat other people. Oh, I hate that. I think that's despicable. Verse 10. Verse 10, what's wrong with you people? You, you hate it when there's truth in court. Verse 11, you trample all over the poor. You enrich yourselves at the expense of others' misery. Verse 12, you take bribes and corrupt the courts. I hate that. Do you, I forget the chaps. I, I forgot to write it down, the guy's name. Do you see the, uh, the Venezuelan minister this week uh, who was being interviewed and say, what's going on with all the shortages of basic products in the land? I mean, there's just a shortage of toilet rolls. How could, what's going on? He said, oh, the problem is the people. The people eat too much. That is why there's a shortage of toilet rolls in this land. I mean, just, what, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. I've got plenty, he says. I don't eat as much. It's just you people. You eat too much. That's why you haven't... Oh, what is that? Corruption at the highest level. It's horrible. Or more miserably, do you see this week Gregory Cox was in uh, on trial? Uh, multi-millionaire, 30-year-old, 32-year-old uh, English businessman was on holiday in Bondi Beach, got drunk, got a girl drunk, forced her to perform a sex act on him. 
She was desperately upset and miserable and in tears, distraught afterwards, and he said to her, tell the police, tell anyone you want. I've got so much money, nothing will happen. You'll never touch me. That's horrible. That's horrible. That's an arrogance. And God says, oh, I hate that. I hate that. But what I hate more is if people act in that sort of way, maybe not as extreme, but act in that sort of way, and then go to church. And then do the same again on a Monday. That winds me up, says the Lord. Now, this concern then, this concern for justice, let's just take a step back uh, from here. So this, obviously what this section is, section is about, verse 7, you turn justice into bitterness. Uh, verse 10 downwards, oppression of the righteous, depriving the poor of justice in the courts. It's clearly the issue. Let me just take a step back. Broadly, uh, the, Old, the Old Testament is clearest on this, but the Bible would define this sort of justice in society in two broad ways. The first would be anti-corruption, which is what the bulk of Amos is railing against. That would be the first main way, ensuring that the vulnerable in society have equal rights before the law, as the wealthy do. So in many countries, if you see a statue, or some westernized countries in particular, a statue of Lady Justice, there she is, with her sword in one hand, and her scales in the other hand, and a blindfold on. And that's often how the statue appears, because justice is meant to be blind. I don't care who the people are in front of me. I will give a just verdict. The old Bailey doesn't have the blindfold. I don't know why. Maybe because English justice is so perfect, she doesn't, I don't know what it is. Um, But commonly that's how the statue appears. And so in one sense, you, you read something like this, and you want to praise God for our legal system. Because it's not perfect, we know that. But it tries hard to treat people neutrally before the law. Now, of course, if you've got more money, you have more access to the best lawyers, etc., etc. Of course. And if you've had no education and no access to information, you don't know what rights you have. Of course, that's true. But we have a reasonable legal system. We want to give thanks for that. We try and live as a country under the rule of law. And when you go to other places and it doesn't happen, that's miserable, isn't it? A couple of years ago, um, a couple of guys here at church who went to Moscow to see U2 in concert. They happened to be American. And for no good reason, as far as they could tell, they were locked up for a few hours. And then they were released until we thought, we'd, we thought we'd, I can't do a Russian accent, it would come out as Dr- Count Dracula. Um, no, no, sorry, you know, I'm going to do it anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, we wanted to scare the Americans a little bit. That's not Russian, is it, at all? No, that's not. But they just, what? what? Why? Well, we could. Oh, it's horrible. A few years ago, a number of years ago, I went travelling uh, around Morocco with a friend. Their money, a load of their money was stolen. And we know who'd done it, because we, there was only one person who had access to it. And so we went to the authorities, and they said, because the thief was one of them, and we were just visitors. And to be powerless before corruption is horrible. It's horrible. And so most, I guess, of what Amos is railing against here is anti-corruption. No, sorry, he's railing against corruption. He wants there to be justice, to be equal equality in the courts. And I guess we'd all be on side with that and say, yeah, very good, very good. We like that. Now, the other side, or the second main element to justice biblically, is 
not just being anti-corruption, but being pro-marginalized. Being proactively in favor of those who are without. God has a particular concern for the oppressed. So three times he would define himself in this way. Deuteronomy 10.18 I, the Lord, defend the cause of the fatherless, the widow, and the alien, giving him food and clothing. That triplet, fatherless, widow, alien. Psalm 68, verse 5 I am a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. I set the lonely in families. Psalm 146, verse 9 The Lord watches over the alien, sustains the fatherless, and the widow. Now, in an agrarian society, the fatherless, the widow, the alien, those are the powerless. Or call them the refugee, the orphan, and the single parent in a society which had no benefit system back then. And so there's a sense in which life is just biased towards the wealthy and the powerful. And God says, I'm a God who is concerned to correct that bias. Often in a culture, the dice are loaded, and I want to straighten the dice, give people more of a chance. And so anti-corruption, but being pro the marginalized, and that's a bit more challenging, isn't it, for you and for me? Because what do you do if you live in a country where five-year-old child orphans are forced to work down mines? You could easily sit in your lounge and say, I don't make them go down mines. Yeah, that's and in one sense, of course, that's fine. Or you could proactively seek to change the law to protect them. Which, of course, you know, someone like Lord Shaftesbury did in this country in the 19th century. And that is, that carries that biblical sense of justice. Or what do you do more contemporarily? Um, what do you do in a city where, one example amongst many, where girls are trafficked for the sex trade? And of course you can say, well, I don't visit them, it's nothing to do with me. Or you could say, they're a deeply vulnerable group, what can we do legally, practically, to do something about that? Because no one else is going to speak up for them and they can't speak up for themselves. Or what do you do in a country where hundreds, tens of thousands of unborn children are aborted every year? No one speaks up for them. What can you do legally, practically? And so a biblical sense of justice, of caring for the, for the, the widow, the orphan, the alien, it carries that sense of being pro the marginalized, speaking up for those who have no voice. Caring for the powerless involves more than just a passive innocence. I haven't committed those crimes. I'm not corrupt. Good. I am enormously pleased about that. But people of biblical justice care a little bit more. That is an enormous, uh, complicated issue. It raises lots of uh, questions. Um, I spent about a month, about 18 months ago, just on this, pursuing justice, if you want to listen to those uh, from January a couple of years ago. Their worship left them unchanged. That's the problem in Amos chapter 5. They were not in any sense concerned with justice. By contrast, true worship will imitate the Lord. Verses 14 and 15. Let's pick up the pace a little bit. There's a lovely balance in 14 and 15. Did you notice that when it was read? Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Verse 15. Hate evil, love good. So verse 14, external action, seek good. 
verse 15, internal emotion. Love good. To see that there's two different things there. There's actually acting externally. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to seek this. But verse 15 is, I feel this way. This is not a religious veneer. I'm going to pretend for my own sake, for God's sake, for other people's sake. This is a concern from the heart to love good and hate evil and maintain justice. The Lord wants this to be the disposition of our hearts. Amos has no time for a privatized religion. The sentiment of it's me and God and no one else is involved. No no time for that. And of course, what says we need that. You and I need, if we're Christians, to spend time with the Lord on our own. But do you see that the burden of what he's saying is, how are you relating to other people? In our modern culture, uh, lots of people, secularists, would shout loudly, okay, be a Christian if you must, you can be a Christian, but just don't ever bring your Christianity into the public square. Take Christianity out of Parliament, take Christianity out of the laws, you just... It's just a private thing. You can have it in your own house, but nowhere can it make any difference when you leave the front door. And Amos would say, unless your Christianity makes a difference in the public square, do you know the Lord? Unless your Christian faith is demonstrated in how you treat other people, really? If you've just got a privatized faith, it may well be no faith whatsoever. And unless there's a change, says Amos, verse 16, well, the Assyrians will come and it'll be miserable. So their worship left them unchanged. Uh, That's the first accusation made. Uh, More briefly, uh, their doctrine was merely slogans, verses 18 to 23. Their doctrine were merely slogans. So what does Amos say to them? Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? Now, if you're an Israelite in around 760 BC, you you long for the day of the Lord. You're kind of well taught. And so you know that there will be a day of the Lord, which is a day of justice where the Lord will right all wrongs and uh, you'll be vindicated as his people. So that's good doctrine. But at the same time, there's a problem here. Because God says, verse 20, that won't be a good day for you. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. So Amos says, look, you say the right things, but your behavior is, bears no resemblance to them. There's a gulf between your profession of faith and your performance of faith you may trot out evangelical doctrine. You may be able to formulate things very well, say a creed. But it makes no difference to you. It doesn't affect how you live. And so verses 21 to 23, I hate what you're doing. I hate your meetings. Verse 22, I'll not accept your offerings. As I say, uh, I'll have no regard for them. Is literally, I will not breathe out, I will not breathe in the odour of your offerings. It's quite a strong phrase, isn't it? Yesterday I had to clear out an external drain, about a foot square, just filled with years of kitchen fat and gunk and hair. 
it was foul. And it's the sort of thing you, 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 you get a spade and sort of clear it out like that because I'm a little bit effeminate really. I mean, but you know, my nose, my nose is just too sensitive for these sort of jobs. So I, you know, I'm a city dweller. I don't do things like that. It was horrible, horrible. And the smell of it, I don't want to impose it too badly upon you, but you know, it makes you wretch a little bit. And you hear, geez, that's what God is saying. Some of your church services, they just make me want to wretch. And verse 23, you make lovely music, will you just shut up? I hate it. Their doctrine was merely slogans. Again, it left them unchanged. By contrast, true doctrine applied, it'll let justice roll. Verse 24. Verse 24, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's one of those famous Bible verses. Legion, you know, I have a dream, Martin Luther King, 50 years ago on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It's a wonderful, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Let justice roll on like a river. Not Not a shallow stream that dries up in the summer. That's his point. Justice can't be there for three months of the year, but for nine months of the year, just dry up and not really be available. It's just got to be a big river that runs and runs and runs and runs and is always there, permanently true. It's because the, the Lord's justice is like that. And when the day of the Lord's justice comes, it will be an extraordinary river, um, just washing away all crime, the grime of humanity, all gone at that point. A river. And as far as is possible, let this world now be a place of justice. True doctrine lets justice roll. Now, two two practical reflections before we finish. First, first question is, is simply this. How does this pursuit of justice, how does it relate to evangelism, people sometimes ask? So some read these sort of things, hear this sort of stuff, and get a little bit nervous um, that for all this talk of believers pursuing justice, it will distract from the work of telling people the message of Jesus Christ, that they need to trust in him to be saved. And that is a natural concern, I guess. Because if you've been a Christian a while, you'll know that when you feed the homeless, people say, that's nice, well done. And when you speak of Jesus Christ, they don't like it. And so it's easier, in one sense, to do that. It depends upon your temperament. You may quite like the fight. But, you know, it depends upon your temperament. And the world will say, well done to one and be quiet to the other. And so, you know, there's, you know, I can see where people are coming from on that. How do you sort of put these two together? I, I, I think this is just such a brilliant little statement. Uh, a few years ago now, the Lausanne Conference is a global conference on evangelization, how to tell everyone in the world about Jesus Christ. And they were talking mainly in 2010, it comes up every few years, about this issue of how do you formulate a care for social justice and a care for telling people about Jesus Christ. I, I wasn't there, but I, from those who were, they said, you know, it was, there was quite a lot of heat and um, people were a bit concerned how things were being phrased uh, until, uh, wonderfully, in a very simple statement, before he preached his sermon, uh, John Piper, uh, American minister, uh, put it this way. He asked the question, I won't try and do his voice. Could Lausanne say, we Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering? 
I hope we can say that. But if we feel resistant to saying, especially eternal suffering, or if we feel resistant to saying, we care about all suffering in this age now, then either we have a defective view of hell or a defective heart for people. And everyone slightly paused and then said, and then, no, that's good. We like that. <laughs> Believers with a close walk with God care about all suffering. And so they care now about seeing a world of justice now and care for people's eternal souls even more. Both. Both and. So that's, you know, a comment on uh, justice and evangelism. Secondly, I guess more to the point. Secondly, how do we grow then in this area? How do we grow in a love of justice and uh, external action flowing from inward emotion, a desire to seek good, hate evil, pursue justice? How do we, how do we grow in that? Verse 26 is a helpful comment here. It essentially tells us we become like our gods. So Israel back then, you have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. You've created idols and worshipped the gods of the Assyrians, the people around you, and you've become like them, corrupt. And if you pursue wealth and mansions at the expense of others and comfort and ease, and you have them as the gods that you hold up, that will make you an unpleasant person. You'll become selfish if wealth, comfort, ease are your gods. Whereas by contrast, if you pursue the Lord in heartfelt worship, if the doctrines of grace of what he's done for you in Jesus Christ genuinely change you, you become like him with a concern for justice and to show grace and mercy. You become like the living God. Now look, I don't, I, let me finish with this. I don't want to be distracting, um, and I hope this is not. Um, some here would know we've been, uh, as a family, fostering uh, a little girl for the last few months. And uh, we thought this week her future will be resolved. Our desire is to adopt her. Uh, and that should have been resolved this week. But for various complicated reasons, the decision's got bumped six months. So for another six months, we live in limbo. Don't know if this girl that we you know, this baby who's seven months old and we've loved for the last five months or so is going to stay with us or not. And I found myself at the beginning of this week hearing that is pulling right out. And say, so I, I, I don't want this anymore. Um, emotionally, I don't, I can't give anymore. Not when we're in limbo. And so I found myself praying, Lord, I, I don't know how I can love her when there's uncertainty and she could be snatched away in six months' time. I don't know how to just give when it could all go. And then it hit me quite hard, really, working on this, and then think perhaps particularly of how Paul phrases it in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2, whereas Paul describes the unbeliever as excluded from citizenship, without hope, 
without God. But, and that was me, (laughs) but God showed to me in Jesus Christ, even though I was a spiritual orphan, showed me grace, even though I was trapped in spiritual poverty, showed me grace in Jesus Christ. The one who was wealthy became poor, so that I could become rich in him. And actually, as I've thought about that, that helps. And so you realize, okay, Lord, that's how I... You have shown me a spiritual orphan without citizenship, without hope, without God. You've shown me generosity and kindness. And you've loved me, though I didn't deserve it. And here is this girl who is technically without citizenship, undoubtedly without God, without hope. And she needs me to treat her in the same way. I don't want to be distracting in telling you that, but I do want to say, knowing that that's how you've been treated, it really helps. It really helps. And I can love and show kindness to the marginalized if I hadn't been treated that way. And I don't want to be distracting, but Amos would say that. Seek the Lord. Seek the God of mercy and justice, and you'll become like him. As you know that that's how you've been treated in Jesus Christ, you slowly become like him. So seek him. Seek him. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, there are many passages in the Scriptures we'd rather look at than this. It's it's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. And we can easily sit here and think, well, where does this stop? How much kindness do I have to show? How much do I need to be in favour of the marginalised? Father, there are details, of course, we can talk about and work out, but would we have a heart such as yours? Would we seek good, hate evil, pursue justice for those who are marginalised? Would we have a heart like yours and show the sort of love you've shown us in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.